Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. Amen. Amen. You guys look so happy to see each other. I'm so glad you are. I'm happy to see you as well. Well, like I said, we have Dr. Joe Bucci again with us. He is continuing the message that he had last weekend on John chapter 10. This is the second half. You've got your handouts beside you there. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. Let me know. There's plenty around here. We can grab you one. Looks like we're good. All right. At this time, I would like to bring Dr. Joe up with us this morning. Give him a round of applause. Good morning. Like applause. We want the Word of God to be preeminent. What I'd like to do is read the entire passage, and then we will um, go through the different sections, okay? So let me see if I can find that. Uh, we are in John chapter 10. Hopefully you have a Bible, or at least be patient with us uh, as we go through. We're going to break it down by pieces, but I want you to be able to see the, uh, the entire passage. So John chapter 10, verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. There is a tremendous amount happening in this uh, short passage. Um, several 
speakers that I heard would uh, break this out into. Um, John MacArthur spent three weeks on this passage. I know other uh, preachers spent several weeks on this passage. We're going to cover it in one section. Um, and really, I guess this is the outline. Who is God? Who is Jesus? Who am I? Um, a lot of folks who teach this or preach this uh, focus on Jesus here. And they say, you know, when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he's kind of calling himself out to say who, who he is. And, and we need to do the same. I am fairly unconventional, I guess. Um, uh, but I think this is really a question about who God is. Um, and, and, and you can see in the notes that I've given to you, uh, it really goes back to uh, our understanding of God. Let me read something to you uh, that I have here. I found this week. It's a faith forum. It was published a couple years ago uh, in, a, in a newspaper. Uh, I'll just read some of it to you. One God, many gods, or none at all. Evolutionary biologist and noted atheist Richard Dawkins indicates that God is a delusion, specifically a pernicious delusion. The Rig Veda, the oldest exi existing scripture of mankind, points out that truth is one and that men call it by various names. Lord Krishna, Lord, I'm sorry, that's one. Lord Krishna tells us in the ancient something, Gita, whatever that um, word is, sorry, I am the source from which the gods come. Um, interesting, yesterday I was listening to some old Beatles music and a tribute to George Harrison and... Uh, uh, George was a big follower of Krishna. I mean, that was very important to him. And and there and I'll read some more of this. You can see there's a, a lot of different folks who are well known, who are deluded, in my opinion. Uh, major world religions state to believe in one God, even those with multiple deities. Stress that there there were manifestations um, or point to a single God. Some equate God to a universal soul. Some note that. Such a powerful entity cannot have a material existence, while others say that we humans are not able to fully comprehend God and that we only make approximate conclusions about God. Well, that would seem to make sense because we really don't understand. I remember years ago, Billy Graham telling the story about looking at his window in the, in the wintertime and the snow was coming down and he saw these birds that were gathering and he had uh, put some food aside in a place, a sheltered place, and, uh, you know, in his own feeble way, wanted to direct the birds to that place and thought to himself, well, if I, only I was a bird, then I could go there and I could tell those birds where the food was. I mean, it makes sense, except for the fact that would the birds believe you if you came and you were not originally a bird? What would you have to do in order to convince them? That certainly makes sense in our context, right, as what Jesus did for us. So there are several people here who argue about different gods, um, I will digress into something silly. When we planted the church in Teaneck, uh, New Jersey, Teaneck uh, has tons of um, uh, different faith. Uh, Two-thirds of the community is uh, Jewish. Some are very Orthodox. There's all traditional religions there. And then a bunch of other different faiths. The, the Baha'i faith, uh, we, we kind of ran into those folks when we were planting a church. And uh, here in this article, there's a a Baha'i faith teacher, and this is what he says when asked about uh, God. He says, there is one God with possible subordinate divas, gods, or spiritual powers. 
man all over the world is seeking for God. All that exists is God, but the reality of divinity is holy above all understanding. The pictures of divinity that come to our minds are the product of our fancy. They exist in the realm of our imagination. That's one of their authors who said that, one of their speakers. Um, and this is from uh, one of their, um, their guy, their, their head guy. Uh, Bear thou witness in thine own most heart unto the testimony which God himself hath himself and for himself pronounced that there is none other God but him. And that was quoted by Baha'u'llah. That's their deity. They believe in Jesus and they believe in Muhammad, but their guy is Baha'u'llah. And I remember, and I know I was a rebellious young man, uh, and I'm still rebellious. I'm just an old man now. But um, when they told me about this God person that they had, I, I couldn't say it. You know, Baha'u'llah, how do you say that? So then suddenly I came up with a way to remember his name. Fa-la-la-la-la, Baha'u'llah. And uh, they didn't think that was funny. Uh, because that's, that's their God, right? Um, so um, anyway, really interesting article to read. And I, and I think it's important for us to consider the context of how other people see God. But also, we really need to consider our own understanding of God. Um, it, this particular passage, I would suggest, is a cultural interpretation by the Jews of their understanding of God. They had adapted God to the place where the sacrifices that were happening were sufficient. Even though if you read the book of Hebrews, the author spends seven chapters trying to convince Hebrew converts to Christianity that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin, can never remove sin. It defers it, okay? So, and, and so the, the leaders at that time uh, were trying to defend their view of God. And, and uh, I want to equate that to our present culture. We are so insistent on our cultural role of Jesus that we expect people to say Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays because Jesus is the reason for the season. And we fight. We're willing to fight with the culture. Jesus did not fight with his culture. He, he tried to argue truth. But if you see at the end of this passage, he retreated himself for the bigger battle, which was really him giving of his life. I'm afraid that we die on the wrong hill here, folks. That we are not dying on who God is and who Jesus is and our neighbor's destined for eternal separation from God. We'd rather argue that you have a bumper sticker on your car that says, keep Christ in Christmas. And I think we're fighting the wrong battle. Okay, And I will be the first to say that I am a victim of that. I was very much um, tied up with the election and praying and did not understand the prophecies related to what was going to happen and how so many people could pray and God decided to go in a different direction. So um, God has been teaching me that he is sovereign and he's not going to listen to me when he chooses not to, that he has a bigger plan and I just need to decide if I want to follow that plan and humble myself completely before him. Uh, so let's look at the passage and it'll give us some understanding of really 
uh, what's happening here. Please, the, the word of God is more important than Joe Bucci. I hope you understand that. So, um, so just for some context, again, if you have these notes, it'd be great. Those of you who are watching, uh, uh, not here, I'm sorry that you don't have these. And certainly you can send me an email, jbucci at regent.edu, and I'd be happy to send them to you. Um, this is the final place. Again, let's understand, these people have tried to kill Jesus three times already. Okay? And it, it, depending on your view of this uh, particular uh, passage and the wording, I would suggest to you that in verse 24, um, when it says they surrounded him, they are ready. They have stones with them. Let me let the cat out of the bag here. Don MacArthur would say, well, there was always construction at the temple, and they picked up stones. Uh, the, the, if you really look at the passage the way it's laid out, they confronted him, and they were ready to say, you say the wrong thing, and we're going to kill you right now. But it was not his time. And it was not his time because the Scripture did not say, Jesus died by stoning for our sins. Okay? He had to become the sacrifice for our sin. And somehow, in a miraculous way, God prevented him from being killed when they came with the intent to do that. Again, culturally defending their view of God. Some of us need to drop our stones. I can tell you that. So this is the final public de declaration by him of his deity. And in the next chapter, he's heading to the cross. This is actually two months later than what we just read in the first part of this chapter. And I'll, I'll get into it. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So I give you some... Uh, some background, is there a God? The heavens declare it. Romans says that men are without, men are without excuse. You watching here, not here. You are without excuse. There is a God. You will be held, we will be held accountable for what we know. Okay, that is the truth of God. Your concept of God affects everything. If you believe there's a sovereign, all-powerful God who is, who is above all and over all, then you should be shocked that he would even care to have a relationship with you. How could it be that this God would come to know me? Look at, uh, you know, Isaiah in the temple, in Isaiah 6. You know, he sees the Spirit of God and the presence of God, and he, he can't even speak. He's stammering, oh, it's me. I mean, I just cannot imagine that. And I go to these pictures all the time. John on the Isle of Patmos, who knew Jesus Christ. But when he saw the resurrected, holy, deified Jesus, uh, as he really was, he fell down at his feet as though dead. So, you know, anybody who says, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God, or, or they see God in a box, J.P. Phillips' great book, uh, you're foolish. You're just plain foolish, okay? Forget the people who think that God is an, you know, and I don't, you know, like him, and I don't think he exists. Well, guess what, buddy? You're going to find out that he does, and he's a God of wrath. Hebrews, again, as the author of Hebrews spends seven chapters telling you about this, he also says in there, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We should have that somewhere like on your refrigerator, you know, with all your pictures of family and things like that, you know, that little statement there. Well, that's crazy. But understand that apart from Jesus Christ and this deliverance that we have, we are separated from God and we deserve, we, we deserve what we get. I deserve it all. Okay, very interesting. Um, um, 
Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Why does it follow me? How does it follow me? We pray, goodness and mercy, be there when I get there. Right? Come on. That's true, right? Oh, God, let goodness and mercy be there when I get there because I'm your child, right? Um, but instead, what it says is because of the power of the shepherd of, that we depend on, who sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies, goodness and mercy follows me. It's in our wake. It happens because God is at work in us. We are dependent on him, and it impacts the lives of people around us. We pray that God would use us in such a way to touch those people who are deceived about their perception of God. Uh, the Greeks and Romans put God in their own image because they wanted to think that they were close enough to deity um, and that they weren't so scary and so far off. And they had failings, right? All their deity had weaknesses. The Mormons believe that people become glorified and deities, okay? Um, I'm not going to read all this uh, to you. You have these notes. So in that context, let's go to the first scripture, okay? Um, we are looking at the Feast of Dedication. So, um, yeah, I think I did all these. Okay, let's just keep going, Donovan. Uh, so, at that time, Feast of Dedication, what is that? It's not in the Scripture, except here in the New Testament. It's not one of the Jewish feasts, okay? This is, uh, this is Hanukkah. This is the Feast of Festival of Lights, it's called, okay? If you, I'll give you a very, very brief overview. Hanukkah, um, 167, 168 years before um before Christ, before the changeover of um, the calendar, right, 168, 167 B.C., uh, there's a Syrian king who, uh, even though the Romans were dominant in that area, there was a Syrian king who, just like Herod, had a little fiefdom and wanted to show how much power he had, and he took control of uh, Egypt at one point, and the Romans said, you can't do that. Uh, so he took Jerusalem as his second prize. And uh, he understood enough about the culture of, of the Jews that he decided to uh, desecrate the temple and started uh, sacrificing pigs in there, remove the altar, and it just to an affront to the culture of the Jews. I'm going to show you that I'm in charge, and I'm going to make sure that you're miserable, and you're not going to be able to uh, honor your deity and practice your worship. So there was a group of guys... Uh, Judas is the guy saying, I don't think their last name was the Maccabees. I think that was kind of what the title they were given. Uh, but you maybe have heard of the Maccabees. It's um, uh, written about in intertestamental uh, writings. I think the Apocrypha has a couple books of the Maccabees. And Anyway, so these guys um, did a guerrilla warfare, and it took them about three years, and they eventually kicked the Assyrians out of Jerusalem. And they wanted to cleanse the temple and set up temple worship. And there was this deal where they had this oil, the oil that they burn, and it takes eight days to create this oil. And they only had enough oil for one day. So they lit the menorah, and by God's mercy, that menorah stayed lit for eight days until they had a new supply. So that became a really important thing to them. But put this in context, okay? Uh, they are looking for another deliverer. That is their view of Messiah. When you see in the next verse, so this is, this is winter time. This is two months after Jesus was just there, what we finished in 21, okay? At that feast, uh, Tabernacles, Booths. Two months later now, he's, he's here, he goes back. Some people say, why did he go back? I mean, what, didn't they hate him? Yes, they did. But this is his opportunity to be a witness to them. Even though they hated him, he's still trying to 
reach them and trying to explain to them really his role, uh, which they, again, culturally are not getting it. And it's winter, so that means that it's, uh, it's kind of the rainy season. Um, and so they're walking under this uh, promenade, this uh, uh, overhang, uh, this colonnade of Solomon. Go to the next one. Okay? So the Jews gather around. This says they surrounded him. Okay? They didn't just gather around and say, hey, Jesus, what's happening? They surrounded him. Okay? With the intent to challenge him. And that's essentially what this says here. Okay? Uh, how long will you keep us in suspense? Uh, essentially, in the language, it says, our souls are desperate to know what about this. We've got to know. You've got to explain this to us. Was it a sincere understanding? Absolutely not. They wanted to flush him out. They were ready to snuff out his life. Here's their opportunity. They hated him. He confronted all the things about them that were true. And he was the only one who had the power and authority to do that. I remember I was working um, in the corporate, I was in corporate HR, no, 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 I'm sorry, I was in the factory, and I had some guys working for me, and we had one of our, um, one of our operations managers who would yell at my guys. And I said, well, listen, the next time he yells at you, I want you to tell him, I want you to laugh at him. He said, oh, I couldn't do that. And I said, I said, you tell him to come to my office, and I will laugh at him. He said, no, really? I, so well, I don't remember what the issue was, but this guy came in, the big bed, Billy Goat, right? And I, I told him, I said, I said, his name was Joe. I said, Joe, listen, if you start yelling at me, I'm going to laugh at you. I just want you to know that. And he's got really, really angry. And I just started laughing at him, okay? Because I was at the point where I was at kind of the same level, and I didn't have to worry about this guy, you know, throwing his weight around and stuff like that. But generally... People who are, and I try to say this to my students all the time, you should never put yourself in that situation, honestly. If you're in a situation where you work, where you're feeling pressured or harassed, or whatever, you've got to trust the Lord and get the heck out of there, okay? I, it, it's not worth the money or anything. You should never put yourself in a situation where people threaten you or you feel threatened or abused or taken advantage of. There's no reason for that. I could say that now. I, I told my boss two years ago that I'm not going to waste my time on things that I don't feel like are of value, but... I had a reason for it. I won't go into that now, but uh, uh, at my age, I can get away with it, I guess. I still need a job, but uh, um, uh, in this particular case, these guys are coming and they're threatening Jesus, and, and Jesus maintains this understanding of his mission. I think if you are missionally focused in your life, then these other things, these noises, will exactly what they are. They're noises, right? Okay? So... If don't keep us, our souls need to know, if you are the Messiah, if you are the deliverer, if you are the second Judas Maccabee, okay, put it in context. Interesting how John writes this. I think John lines up the first part of the chapter with the second part because he's going to get into the sheep and all. And that's kind of how most people see it. Uh, but they're two separate time frames. I don't, I, I don't know, I don't want to say that John was... Uh, wise enough to understand, but it's interesting how on the feast that honors a guerrilla movement that overcame a ruling power, that the Jews are asking Jesus if he is the next deliverer to take them out from under this ruling power. Because really, that's what they're asking. They're not asking for his spiritual, uh, his role and dying. Because they don't really see that in, in context. Because their view of God, again, 
is when we satisfy God by doing our little, you know, sacrifices, even though we're sacrificing, we're killing hundreds of animals on a regular basis. It does not wipe away sin. Uh, we just need somebody to deliver us from the Romans and everything will be great. Well, that's not really true, right? So Jesus answered, I've already told you this, okay? Uh, and you do not believe. There are three reasons that they don't believe. They did not meet, he did not meet their expectations, okay? They were expecting deliverance, not the kind that he was going to provide, okay? They rejected the evidence that he had shown them by the works. And finally, he says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So then he goes back to the shepherd allegory, okay? Let's go to the next one, okay? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. This is really interesting. No one will snatch them out of my hands. He also says the same with his father. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. This is a theological perspective, which some churches believe, some don't. And it is this idea of eternal security. That once you accept Christ as Savior, uh, let me back up. You don't accept Christ as Savior because you all of a sudden wake up one day and say, I think I'll accept Jesus, okay? It's because God has allowed you to have this knowledge and understanding, and you basically accept what God has allowed you to understand. That's a very difficult concept. We um, evangelicals tend to be what we call neo-Pelagianism, uh, uh, the fact that we have a part in this, you know, we can make some of the decisions, uh, and yet there's this balance between, you know, the fact that we have an understanding uh, of God and, the, and how God allows us to have that understanding. And I, when Pastor John gets back, he'll explain it to you much better than I can um, because I don't want to try. But you understand what I'm saying. Um, we are his sheep. We hear his voice, but God has allowed us to be part of that. He has given us the ability to understand that. I think I said that, um, uh, I may have said that last week. I didn't just, you know, all of a sudden wake up and decide I was going to accept Jesus. There was a series of things that God did in my life, and he made himself aware. Uh, uh, I became more aware of his working in my life, and I heard him speak to me on several occasions. I watched uh, Tim Allen did a, um, uh, the comedian Tim Allen just did a uh, commencement address at, uh, what's that school? Um, I can't think of the name of it, but... Uh, um, I'm trying to think. It starts with an H, I think. Uh, uh, anyway, he did a commencement address, and he spoke himself about the number of occasions where God spoke to him specifically. And one particular occasion where God revealed Himself and said, "I'm, I'm going to take care of this." I'm going to, um, I can't remember the name of the school. Maybe I'll remember it. But anyway, um, I believe very strongly that God is the one who draws us to Himself, and we just make that acceptance, uh, which is a great thing. So. Uh, this is this idea of security. We are secure, verse 27 says, because we hear his voice. We are secure because we know him and we follow him. We are secure, verse 28, because he gives us eternal life. This is a gift that only God can give to us, okay? We know that. We, we will only live, you know, uh, what does the scripture say? Uh, 70, 80 years, uh, Psalm 90 says, and there's much toil in that. Uh, but by God's grace, we have eternal life. We are secure 
um, because we will never perish. We are secure because no one ever, no never, that's what this means, no one ever, no never will pluck us out of his hand. And that's where we go to this verse here in John chapter 6. I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. He reemphasizes that in verse 29. My Father who is greater than all, this goes back to your God concept again, who do you believe that God is? We should fall on our faces before God and praise him that he gave us to Jesus. He has, my Father who has given them to me. God determined that you would be pleasing to be part of his family. We should stop right now and praise God for that. Thank you, God. We are undeserving. I know I am. I have these folks maybe, but I am not deserving. Okay? Who shall separate us? No one. No one is able to snatch us out of the Father's hand. This is a tremendous truth. This really should bring assurance to people who have doubts, who are concerned, who think, you know, I, I, I don't know if God really loves me. I'm not really sure. You know, there's the first thing you need to learn when you become a Christian is the assurance of salvation. That's the first thing we teach new believers. You can believe what he said. And I shared my experience last week about it. it took me I still tried all weekend like I don't get it I don't see rainbows um, we need to assure people that no one will pluck us out of his hand okay and as part of this go to verse 30 next next slide uh, we skipped we skipped one go to verse 30 so go back you don't have verse 30 hmm, I wonder what happened all right well that's okay we can, just, we can just read it from the Scripture. How about that? Okay? Uh, it's a pretty easy one, right? I and the Father are one, okay? This is his claim. And this caused them to become unglued. Um, uh, essentially, what, and my notes say, we are one in essence. He is one in essence with the Father. Uh, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a unique attribute that Christ has. Understand that he was in that particular role for that particular time to do one thing, to die for us. He became a human. He found that form, and he gave his life. At the end of his life, after he's resurrected, he says to his disciples, I need to go away, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit because I can't physically, in my role, be everywhere I need to be. I can go through doors. I can kind of show up at different times. But you need the Holy Spirit, and that's what today represents, right, with, this, with Pentecost, that he sent the Spirit so that the Spirit would indwell us and we could have a peace of Christ, the fullness of God's uh, wisdom and authority in our lives uh, so that we would be able to carry on the work that he asked for us to do. Well, this certainly caused them to be uh, out of control. So here's the question. Did they pick up stones or did they have them? I might argue, uh, I looked at the language a couple minutes ago. It, you know, either they picked them up, they were ready. They were ready. Let's just agree that they were ready to stone him. Um, 
And I have the Leviticus verse here. Really interesting. A lot of people quote this, but most people don't really read it. You have to read it. Whoever blasphemes or curses the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Okay? Jesus is not cursing God. He is equating himself and his role, his service with God's intention to save mankind, right? So he's not saying, well, you know, God is blah, blah. He's not, and I wouldn't even come close to thinking about saying anything like that, okay? So it's interesting how they're interpreting it, again, from their cultural perspective. We just want you to tell us if you're the Messiah and you're going to deliver us. If you don't, if you say anything else, we're going to stone you. That's our intention because you are rocking our, our world here. You are disrupting our cultural comfort and how we have our religion kind of packaged, and we're very happy with it. We've got a lot of nerve, and we're going to make sure. It's, it's vicious. It's brutal that they have to snuff his life out because they don't agree with him. Okay? Uh, and then so Jesus says to, him, to them, I have shown you many what I would say. We, the, the word is good, but it means excellent or beautiful. I have shown you these amazing works. And for which of these works are you choosing to stone me? Please tell me. I mean, if you're ready to be assaulted by someone, you generally don't say, hey, let's talk about this for a minute. Why are you ready to kill me? No, I, I'm, I'm serious. Um, um, most, most of us, if confronted, and, and that's obviously the very wrong thing to do, right? If somebody points a gun at you for you to try and fight with them, you know, no matter how many kung fu movies you've watched, uh, that's a, a really a foolish thing. Unless you know what you're doing, the best thing to do is not anything, you know, and you trust the Lord in that moment, right? We, we witnessed uh, an, an accident. We were ready to pull out of a, a parking area onto a road, and, and seconds, two seconds before we pulled out, there's this huge accident right in front of us. So I'm thanking God that we didn't get out there. Mrs. Mucci, being the nurse, says, people are hurt. I need to go. And I'm sitting in my car like, uh, yeah, people are hurt. We should go. <laughs> I'm not going to help anybody. I'm a doctor, but I can't really help anyone, you know. So, uh, so I'm calling 911. I have one of those phones that has like the finger, the what do they call it, the biographical thing where you push your finger on it and it's supposed to. So I'm <laughs> doing this on my stinking phone. I can't even get it to open to call 911. Uh, and I'm acting like, okay, 911, and I'm talking to him and stuff like that. But Mrs. Bucci is, she's, she's, she knows what to do in those situations, right? So again, if you're ever confronted with some, you know, I'd love to think I'm going to be a hero, but mo more than likely, that's a foolish thing to do. Um, uh, and, and in this particular case, Jesus, he doesn't flee from them, but he addresses them. Now, interesting, because it has to be the Spirit of God that causes them to consider this, right? Um, because who's going to listen? They are so full up with anger. You remember when Stephen was stoned, and Stephen was preaching to them. That's Acts chapter 6 into 7, and they stoned him at the end of 7. Um, they were so incensed that they just grabbed stones and just started pelting him. They were not going to listen to anybody. So the fact that they listened to Christ is really remarkable. And he says, so which of these really great things that I've done are you, for, are you going to stone me for? Okay? So what do they say? Well, it's not for a good work, but we're going to stone you because you being a man make yourself God. It doesn't go with the scripture, 
I see they're interpreting the scripture. Uh, we're defenders of God. We, we have to be this vigilante force to defend God. Let's go to the next one. Okay. So Jesus says, now, this is a very obscure reference, but be, Jesus, knowing the word of God, brings it to their remembrance, and he says, well, doesn't your own word say this? And he, re, he quotes to them, I don't have it here, uh, from uh, Psalm uh, 82. I thought I did. Um, but Psalm 82 is basically talking about God appointing people into roles of leadership. I appointed you as judges, but you are corrupt judges. And what he says is, although you think you act in the role of God, being discerning, you will die like men. That's essentially what the passage says, Psalm 82. Uh, read really the whole thing, but verses 6 and 7 is where the focus is. So Jesus says, it's funny how your law says of corrupt judges that they are gods. And he, he puts this little aside in there. And now remember, your law cannot be, cannot be challenged, right? Where does it say that? The scripture cannot be broken. So Jesus right there declares the infallibility of scripture. A lot of people stop on that and say, how interesting is that? So he pulls this one verse out and says, well, of course, you agree that the scripture is infallible. So if God calls them gods and they were corrupted, here I am doing the work of God. I'm doing good things. And you're ready to stone me? And somehow, somehow, they stop. It's just really remarkable if you, if you look at that whole thing. Here's a mob ready to kill him, and he brings their own word into focus, and they stop. And they're like, oh, because he always did that, right? He was always able to pull these things out. Um, and then he continues on. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I'm doing them, even though you don't believe, believe the works, you don't believe me, you don't like me, that's fine. Look at the works I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing. Are you going to stone me because of these works? Is that really your intention? You just don't want to accept the fact that I am confronting uh, your lack of leadership in a sense, right? Uh, let's see. Okay. If, if I am doing the works, believe me that you may know that I am in the Father. Know that verse 30 is true. All right. Let's go to the last one here. Let's finish up. Okay. So now it doesn't say, notice it doesn't say, that they were going to stone him. Okay? So somewhere the stones were dropped or something like that. Now it says they wanted to seize him. Because that's the goal, right? They know they don't have the power or authority to put anyone to death. So they are ready to seize him, but he eludes their grasp. Very interesting. Okay? Uh, he now must plan for his final visit, which begins starting in the next chapter. Right? Um, but look at see what happens. Okay? He goes back to the place where John was originally baptizing. So he leaves Jerusalem, and he crosses the Jordan. I think the crossing is a significant issue here. I think, um, you know, live to fight another day. Uh, it could be that for the people who needed to make the decision, they needed to cross the Jordan. And I would suggest, and you'll see this on my last slide, for some of us, there's something that's limiting us. And we have to cross our own Jordan. We have to be willing to say, am I going to go all the way with God? He's available to me, 
but I've got to cross some obstacles to that. So let's go. So many believed in him there. Interesting. John did no sign, but John spoke truth about him. So let's let's wrap this up. Hopefully, I haven't been too long. Um, I didn't want to be long today. So there are decisions that we have to make, and there's a lot of questions here, and it may be too much uh, to take in right now. Okay. What else does Jesus need to prove to you? To you, whoever's filming me here. You, and to you, and to you, and to you, and to Nick out there, and to guys in the booth, and stuff like that. What else does Jesus need to prove to you? What is your concept of God? You say, oh, I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Really? How is that impacting your life? What does that look like right now? In your life, where is your satisfaction and your contentment coming? Okay, there I would suggest that for many of us, there are obstacles, there are Jordans that we have to cross to fully release the things around us. You know, maybe there's whether it's work or family or some other circumstance, disappointment, and we're dwelling on those things. And Jesus is looking past that, right? He's a remarkable in his ministry, to be able to look past that at the big prize. I'm going to have to die, but this is going to honor the Father. I'm going to be obedient here, even though this is going to be a very difficult task. That's what we're facing, right? We're facing a difficult challenge, and we have to decide if we're going to be obedient. But that means you have to be able to hear his voice. Okay? Um, we can't allow the culture to frame we can't allow, and, and you know, I'll be the first one to admit that I've allowed that at times. And I've appreciated this season so much of separating myself from news and from, from everything and just wanting to be in the presence of God. You don't know how difficult this is to do this every week. Um, I've been, I've been uh, under the mantle for two weeks, and uh, it's not comfortable. Uh, Pastor John, come back soon. Um, because you really have to keep yourself in that position of, of listening and discerning. It's easy, it was easy to be Catholic. I could sin all week and show up on Saturday for con confession and then go to take my Holy Communion. Good, I'm good for another sinful week here. Um, but um, again, if we think about God as being this incredible, holy, distant, righteous God. Re uh, I put it in my notes. Revelation 5, look at that picture where uh, no one was found worthy to open the scroll, to break the seals. And John, in writing this, I wept and I wept until I saw the Lion of Judah coming from the throne. We, we have been remarkably saved. We should be totally grateful to God every day. Uh, another picture. I'm sorry. I love these pictures from the Scripture. Moses and Aaron at the tent of meeting when Korah challenged his leadership. Okay, Moses could have been defensive. Right? How many of us have been defensive, right? Oh, you don't think I'm a good guy? Well, let me tell you this. Um, but what they did was they fell down at, at the at, face to the ground. They said, you don't know what you're messing with here. And suddenly the earth opened up and captured Korah and his band and their children. They're children, that's exactly right. 
I want to honor God and bow before him, and maybe all of my children will be there with me. I hope many of them are. I hope many of them are. Let's stand, and we'll close. Uh, maybe Pastor Nick's going to want to have a final word here. But, um, you know, what obstacle do you have to cross in order for you to be fully committed, fully drawn into that relationship? Those folks who went out, Jesus went a ways out into the wilderness, and they were willing to go out there. If you remember earlier in the scripture, Jesus said, what did you go out to see when you went out to see John? I love that picture. Did you go out to see a circus? Did you go out to see a guy, you know, eating uh, locusts and wild honey and, you know, with his kind of the clothing he had on, you know, he's wearing last year's uh, um, Harry and Sally or whoever, uh, whatever clothing line uh, you find in uh, those off-brand stores, right? No, you went out to see. There was a presence there. If you're not feeling the presence of God, I'm going to suggest to you that there's an obstacle that you have to cross. And it may be something you're going to let go of. Could be a relationship. Could be, I don't know what it is. I'm not even going to guess. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. We can't even begin to express your awesome nature and our gratitude for what you've done, that you sought us and you bought us. Christ's redeeming blood, that Jesus came out of the wilderness and spoke truth. Help us to follow back, follow him back across the Jordan, no matter what it's going to cost, to, to worship him, to honor him for what he's done for us. It's a fearful thing to fall into your hands, God, unless we have the blood of Jesus. It's not by our own works. It's not by the blood of bulls and goats but only by your precious son's blood. We accept him as savior and his sacrifice. We confess our shortcomings. We confess our weakness in following after you, our dependence on our own strength, our reliance on our cultural attitudes. God, we, we lay it all before you and say it's rubbish. Paul said, I just you know consider everything rubbish except for the surpassing knowledge knowing Christ Jesus, our Savior. That's what's most important in this hour. We pray for our neighbors and friends. We pray for those of the Baha'i faith and all these other crazy things, people who think that they don't need to know God. We, we fall on our faces before you, God, and pray for their eternal souls. God, don't let them perish apart from you. How horrible that will be. The George Harrisons and those people, famous, all kinds of money and acclaim, but separated for eternity from you, O oh God. Please help us to live our faith. Help us to pray fervently for them. Help us to let your spirit speak to us and maybe bring words to our remembrance like Jesus brought this psalm to remembrance to cause people to stop in their tracks, to maybe reflect on where they're going and maybe to be drawn closer. You know whose are yours. Your sheep know your voice. Draw them in, God, and use us. Let us be part of that, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Dr. Joe, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Hey, I want to share just a little bit of good news with you this morning. Uh, during the service, I, I checked to see how many people had signed up for baptisms. We've already had three people sign up to be baptized this morning, so we are so excited for that. We've already had some people volunteer to or sign up to volunteer to serve at VBS, so if you're interested in serving, make sure you just scan that code before you leave to do that. Thank you guys for being here. You were dismissed. What is that obstacle in your life that you need to conquer to believe in him? Think about that this week. Call us if you need anything. We'll be here to pray for you at the end of service as you leave. Be blessed. Have a great day. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.